The scripture from today's sermon comes from Mark 8, 34 through 38. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of God to us. You may, you may be seated. Church, it is good to be with you. It's good to just get to worship with this place and with this church. I'd been here a few months ago, but just to, just to be here to sing, to to get to bring God's word to this place is just a real joy. I got to spend last week really asking God, we're in between Sermon on the Mount. We're in between a, a new series. We're, we're in this moment. And, and God, what do you have for us? What, where are you speaking to my heart? Where would you be leading south? What, what just, God, help me have a word uh, for this place in this time and in this moment. And, and I feel like God was really gracious in helping me uh, just sit in his word this week and, and really sit feeling energized to be here. And then the thunder go and trade Paul George and it wrecked everything for me. It wrecked everything for me. It just destroyed my focus. I started searching Amazon for sackcloth and ash. I started looking for just like, we've got to just lament and weep today. So uh, I say that not just to, to be silly, but to say like, it's so easy for me to be distracted. It's so easy for me to move from Sermon on the Mount think, okay, what do we do with this? And then instantly one thing happens that is trivial and everything in me just uh, gets stolen by this. It may not be Thunder basketball for you. It may be something far more significant. But if you're anything like me, uh, man, you need people praying for you. So I would ask that you pray for me and I'll take a moment and pray for this time with us. (laughs) Father God, living God, work in us today. Move in this moment. Make it more than just a gathering of people in a room. Meet us. Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, meet us. Fill us. Do what only you can do. Do what only you can do, which is change hearts. Spirit of God, fill us. Convict us. Help us to walk in your ways. In the Spirit of God, lead us to your, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Help us to see Jesus Christ high and lifted up, glorious and beautiful, risen from the grave, and the only one that saves. And so we ask these all for your glory and for your name. Amen. Amen. Church, thank you 
Thank you. I think of coming out of the Sermon on the Mount in 16 weeks, multiple months in this, and in just my own heart almost needing it to take a deep breath. What do, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? What do we do with this? What does that look like? And just the need to almost just kind of take a deep breath and feel it. Not just race to the next thing. I have a tendency, confession, to just run to the next thing. Make a list out of everything. Make a list out of all the things the Bible tells me to do. And not just respond appropriately to it. But respond in works. Respond in my own effort. Respond in those things. And so I started saying, Jesus, what do you have for us? And one of the things that it felt like the Lord was doing was just like, man, you turn and twist, Chad, you turn and twist church into all these other things. All these other things. And I started realizing that that's not just me. That's actually uh, all of us. We do this in many different ways. And it's actually really popular today now to do all sorts of things and call everything church. Everything gets called church. And so Justin Bieber sings a worship song in a concert, and we call it church. We're having a church service in one of his concerts. Uh, Billy Porter takes a Sunday at the Met in New York, and they call it church service. They call it church service. Kanye West, maybe the most popular going right now, Kanye West has literally what they're calling his Sunday service gathering. And it looks like it has all the trappings of a church. It has everything that goes along with the church. They, they kind of have... A, a, hymns, a little bit of hymns, and they, they talk some spiritual things, and he prays. And, and I honestly, I'm not making any claim on what's going on in his heart. I'm just recognizing that all of us can do this. I want to read to you what NPR says about Kanye's Sunday service, because it's insightful for us. It's a revealer, not, not so much of Kanye. It's a revealer of my own heart and what's going on. And so listen to what NPR says. Kanye grew up Christian. He's spoken about that tons. There's always this sense, though, that he, Kanye, might worship God, but never serve him. It's always seemed like God, in the end, would always serve Kanye. That Kanye is the church. That Kanye is the text of the sermon. It's his songs. Kanye is the worship. Kanye is creating a church in himself and selling it. You can literally buy a sweatshirt for $250 from one of these Sunday services. And, and, and again, the, the message is not Kanye and what's happening with Kanye. The message is that in my own way, in my own twisted dark heart, I can do the same thing where I come into church and I make it all about me and not about the living God. And so coming out of the Sermon on the Mount, coming out of this 16 weeks, God was just really just sitting on my heart, his spirit moving on my heart saying, like, no, you stop and follow after me. Follow after me. So in in my own ways and all of this, like I can come into church and and even... just confession. I can come into things like this and say, okay, God, impress me. Impress me. God, God, I'm going to just do this God thing, this religion thing. Impress me and show me what this looks like. And I'll see. I'll judge at the end of it. And maybe that's just a way that we come about in a religious tone to these things. And we say, God, impress me. And then I'll evaluate afterwards and decide if I like you or not like you. 
There are other aspects in which what we do is we turn it into like a selfie religion where we're just taking pictures. I get up, I read my Bible, I take a picture of it and I post it so people can like it and see that I'm reading my Bible and doing these things. I don't like to admit that. Or we could take a picture right now and I could hold up my phone and we could, we could show, like, look, we're having this moment with God. Everyone see that I'm having this religious moment. And maybe what we're doing is we're actually just having a, a service which is about ourselves or a time in the Bible, which is really just for my own heart, and not focused on God. There are other ways in which we come in here in, in an attitude which is, I just don't want anyone to see the real me. So I come in in my shell. I come in in my protective casing. I sit. I, I turtle up by going inside. And no one talk to me. No one get beyond this shell and see that I'm actually a busted up person and need Jesus all the time. We can take what is beautiful that God has given us, a gathering We can take the Sermon on the Mount and turn it into just a list. We can take even this Sunday and just come in our own religious veneer. And we might as well just call it Kanye's Sunday service or Chad's Sunday service. And what we really want to do is come here to the Word and see what God is calling us to. And so in it, as I, as I was reading through the sermon from last week, what Andrew preached here, he calls us and says, the Sermon on the Mount is one massive, one giant authority claim. It is Jesus claiming authority over everything. It's Jesus claiming authority over all of life, your life, my life, every bit of this, and it demands a response. It demands a response. One of the things that we've read, one of the, the people that we've read through in the Sermon on the Mount was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We quoted him an awful lot. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a way of explaining when we all bring our own church to church. When we all bring our own ways to this church. And he calls it this. He calls it cheap grace. Listen to what he says. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Jesus requires a response. The claims the Sermon on the Mount make require a response. The last thing that Andrew left you with last week, he said, you have the teachings of Jesus. What will you do with them? I'm, I'm reading that on my screen. I, I wasn't here with you all last Sunday. I'm reading that on my screen and I had to stop and just sit in that. My heart wants to run past it really fast. My heart wants to run past that and and just get to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and to make myself feel better and then to take a selfie of this or that or take a picture and feel good about these things. And and God just met me in that moment. Chad, church, you have the teachings of Jesus. What will you do with them? See, King Jesus, this King Jesus, the call of Jesus that he gives is unmistakable. It's unmistakable. 
It's also unavoidable. We don't get to just turn around and walk off and say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and just avoid all that he's calling us to. It is unavoidable. And and what we see in the text is that on our own, by our own strength, by my own cleaning myself up, by my own shell, or by my own facade, all of it is unattainable apart from the grace of God. It's only through that grace that we have it. So look with me here at the text and see where we're pulling this from. Look where it's calling us to. Verse 34 of chapter 8. And calling the crowd, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If, if you're going to follow after Jesus, the first thing he says right now, if, if someone is going to follow after me, you are going to deny yourself. Deny yourself. It doesn't say deny yourself stuff. It doesn't say deny yourself a meal. It doesn't say deny yourself uh, friends or or thoughts off this. It, It actually gives something far bigger and broader. It says deny yourself. I like to reduce that to things in my life, just this and that. And I'll I'll do without ice cream tonight, or I'll do without this thing today. Uh, I'll do this and that. And, And instead, the call of Jesus is, if you are going to follow after him, you deny yourself. And you say, every bit of my life, every bit of my day, every bit of it, Lord, I want to yield to you. I want to yield that to you. My dreams, my hopes, my my 401k, my bank account, all of those things. My home, my plans, those types of things. We want to yield to you and say, Jesus, I want to deny myself in this. And, And just candidly, that's hard. I fail at that all the time. These are not claims that your, your, your boss does not make this claim on your life. Even your family, your spouse doesn't go this far in making these claims on your life. Your, your family, the, your closest friends don't make these claims. It's only the one who has all authority that can make this claim on your life. In Mark we read, we read Jesus has authority over wind and weather and the waves and, and, and actually things growing up out of the ground. Jesus speaks with authority, and those things respond immediately. They respond. They're, it is a required response from those things. He speaks to the wind and the waves, and it stops. In Mark, we read that Jesus, King of kings, has authority over demons, and they respond because he is the one with authority. Friends, the one who speaks with authority over wind and waves and vegetation and and animals and demons has authority over your life as well. And it demands a response. If we are going to follow after Jesus, he says that we are to deny ourselves. It goes on, deny yourself and see, or see where this goes. Deny yourself and take up his cross. Take up his cross. 
They had no concept. They had no concept of our pretty Christian wall art cross that we talk about. They had no songs making it beautiful. They had nothing to go and look or people wearing it around their neck. They had no concept of how we've kind of made the cross beautiful. The the hearers of this would have heard, take up your cross, that shameful, dehumanizing suffering device. And that's what this king is calling us to. And hear this, take up your cross does not mean uh, just suffer and be a miserable person. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that he is worth everything. He is worth everything and to count the cost. He is worth everything in your life and count the cost. I had the opportunity for a good 10 years of my life to be back and forth to Central Asia. And I got to partner with a church in Central Asia that was 12 hours in any direction from another church. So just kind of get your, get your mind around that. You could drive 12 hours in any direction and not find another group of gathered Christians. I spent some time this morning just driving around this area and in my head keeping a non-scientific number of churches that I drove past in this. What happens in Central Asia is that they have no access to the gospel. It's not just that they want the gospel. It's not just, do we have Bibles? It's that they don't even have someone that they could go ask to find out about Jesus. There's no one to ask. So I, I got, by God's grace, to be a part of a church in Central Asia that was telling people about Jesus and sharing the gospel. They receive massive threats on a daily basis to their existence, to their families, to every aspect of their life, to the building. Just gathering is offensive in the culture that they're in. So outside of the church, outside of the church is a big police bus that is there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And it sits outside and everyone coming into the church, everyone coming into the church has their photograph taken, has people kind of stopping them, the police stopping them on the way in. And in one sense, the police are there to keep others from doing violence. And on the other sense, the police are there to take your picture, send it to your family, send it to your boss, send it to your principal, send it to other people and say, are you sure about this guy? His life is going off the rails and he's around these Christians. And the police are there to harass the Christians, to inform uh, on that they have left Islam and moved from that. And the police are there not simply to uh, keep the building open. They're there actually to be persecutors as well. That's what they're there for. That is the call. That is what it is. Every day, every time the church gathers, they come together and every single one of them at the end of the service, most of the service are filled with people who don't know Jesus. It's just the nature of where they live. Everybody's there. Most of them do not know Jesus. And at the end of the service, they always have a meal. It's not some big steak meal. It's lentil soup and bread. Lentil soup, bread, and water. And yet, it is one of the most beautiful meals you'll ever have. Because those believers are weeping together. 
saying, we made it another week. They sit together in that. They offer food to those who are literally persecuting them. And they come into that space. They take a meal. They take a plate to each one of those police officers that are sitting outside who will call their families, who will call the newspapers. They take a meal to them. And in Turkish they say, in sinlik olsun. May your hands be blessed to those who would persecute them. When they have a baptism, their baptisms aren't like three minutes long. Their baptism is 20 minutes long for one person because they walk through each thing. You know this is going to cost you. You know this could cost you everything. You know this could cost you your family and your job or your school or your education. It it could cost you everything. And they say, and you know, don't you, that going into this baptismal waters, that it's worth it. It's worth it. I was there one time and an Iraqi woman came four hours by bus to be baptized. She came on a cold day and there aren't heaters in the water. And so it was a cold winter morning to be baptized. And she gets there with a huge black eye because her husband beat her for coming. She had made her baptismal gown. And she goes in through that 20-minute conversation about count the cost. Count the cost. Take up your cross in this. Are you sure you want to step into this? And she goes down into the baptismal waters. And she comes out. She shakes the water off. And she says, one more time. Just one more time. Baptize me one more time. We live in an area in which there's almost no cost for coming to church. You might, have, you might miss the soccer game this morning. You might miss the football game some, some Sunday morning. There's almost no cost here for being a believer. And yet the call to us is the exact same of take up your cross. Take up your cross. Count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. It is not, he's not calling you just to your comfort. He's not calling you to happy life central. He's not calling you just to be a nice person. He's calling you to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. And follow him because he is worth it. That next call, that follow me aspect is beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. It's follow me. I had to sit in this and realize it's not, it's not, Chad, follow your own heart. Follow whatever you want. Follow what feels right today or comfortable. Follow what the latest trending topic is. Follow the next thing. No, it's follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. In college, I was able to go uh, on a hike. I had some friends that like to do crazy things. And we, we'd hike the Continental Divide a hundred miles with a bunch of idiots that didn't know what we were doing. And, and I assure you, there were moments on that in which, by, out of the kindness of my own heart, I said, leave me for dead. Leave me for dead. I can't go on. Save yourselves. Save yourselves. There were moments where it was hard. There were moments where it was difficult. There were moments where it was miserable at times. And yet, I look back on every bit of that, and I'm so thankful for what Jesus did. 
I'm so thankful for that experience. I'm so thankful for it. So in college, I went on this and had this moment of walking where it's one foot in front of the other, one step, not even looking up. And then a few weeks ago, I find myself in Colorado, and some guys asked me to go on a hike, and it's going to be fun, they said, and it's going to be beautiful, they said. And one of those guys is like, you put adventure in front of him, and he gets like, the happiest dog in the world, just jumping around. It's like, this is easy. This is beautiful. It is wonderful. He gets excited about that. Another guy in that group is like a billy goat who can climb anything and just go and never grows tired. And then you have me, the rhino of our animal family in this. Not made for climbs. Not made for climbs. Made for just grunt work slogging through every step. They beat me by miles. They beat me by all of this for miles. And every step is just one more step. One more step. Those guys are in front of me. I'm following them right down this path. One more step. It was hard. It was painful. There were moments where I wanted to quit and lay down. There were moments I thought I would be forced to quit and lay down. And it was also beautiful and, and wonderful. And you step to the top and you say, every step was worth it. Every step was worth it. When we're told to follow Jesus, we're being called not to a resort where we, are your seats comfortable enough? Is the temperature right? Is the music what you like? Is, do we have the services provided for you? You're not being called to a resort. You're being called to follow Jesus. You're not being called to a life of just retirement and ease and can we entertain you? You're actually being called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. The one who we know walked willingly to the cross. You're not being called to some resort. You're not being called to retirement. But you are, there are aspects in which on these walks, on following Jesus, it says, no, there are times where we have to rest. And we have to stop. We have to sit. Nothing in all of Scripture shows faith in Jesus as simply sitting and nodding in agreement. Nothing in all scripture shows it. Deciding if the one up here is any good or or did they have the the right lights or the right sound. Nothing in all of scripture paints that picture for us. In fact, it's the opposite. What we're being called here, right here, which is unmistakable and it is unavoidable, is this call to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Every bit of it. Every bit of it. The the text moves on to these just obvious statements. It gives us four fours. And it gives us these obvious statements right here. And, And so let's read them. Verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. Jesus is speaking this and his hearers, it it is intended to be obvious. If you're trying to to save and acquire and do things, you will lose that. It will not work. 
He moves on. For what does it profit a man to gain the entire world, the whole world, and forfeit his soul? That answer should be obvious. Nothing. You can gain all the wealth, all the material possessions. You can gain everything in this life. And it is not worth it if you lose your soul. It's not worth it. What can a man give in return for his soul? Again, the answer is obvious. Nothing. There's nothing that you can give to earn this, to buy that, to, to purchase it. Your soul is beyond your ability to clean up. Your soul is beyond your ability to be good enough to purchase that and make it happen. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That question, those statements... are intended to sit and fall on the hearers. What can you do to earn this? And the answer is obvious, and the answer is always nothing. You cannot do anything to earn it. It makes me think of Nicodemus in John chapter 3, comes to Jesus at night. He's a religious man. He knows what services look like. He knows how to uh, speak the, the religious talk. He knows all of this. And he comes to Jesus. And Jesus gives him a simple answer that completely blows his mind and makes it really clear that he can't do anything. He says, Nicodemus, in order to follow me, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus, like all of us, says, that's impossible. How, how am I supposed to do that? The call of Jesus is unmistakable. If you, if you are going to follow after Jesus, you deny yourself. You take up your cross and you follow him. And Why? Because it is worth it. We started earlier reading that quote from Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer talks about cheap grace. And what it looks like just to come to make my own church service and my own image. And for my own good and for my own name. And what that looks like. And he calls it, he says it's just cheap grace when we go down this. But he reverses it and he says, but this is costly grace. And I realize this is a long quote, so I hope you'll indulge me in this. But I want you to read this and, and let this sit on you for a moment. Bonhoeffer calls costly grace. He says, costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It's the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods it's the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It's the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a man his life. And it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. 
It's costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it's costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Friends, God's grace has to be given. And that is beautiful good news, no matter how messed up you feel today, no matter what condition you came in today, it it is not something that you earn. It's not something that you earned because of your attendance or because you come forward and talk to someone or because you cleaned up your life and you have no visible sin coming in here today. It's always given. It's always given. So instead of getting caught up in what, what we're putting out, what you and I are, are showing the world of how much we love Jesus or, or show these things. So if, can I put the right image out? Or getting caught up in, in what, what others are doing in these things. Instead of getting caught up in what does this look like and what does that look like. And and Bieber is singing in a concert worship songs so we can do whatever. Or, Or Kanye has this thing called Sunday service. Instead of getting caught up in someone else's Sunday service. And following the example of others and our own misguided steps. Let's get caught up in what the Bible calls us to be. And the response that we have to Jesus' call. And I would say instead of looking to some celebrity or some Instagram celebrity or your favorite blogger or podcaster on what they're doing uh, to love Jesus more, let's look at people that we see in God's word. And I would point you to someone like Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is often slammed for uh, maybe character issues. She's one who had demons called out from her, set free from this. And and here she is. We, We get Mary Magdalene at the foot of the cross, the literal cross of Jesus, weeping. Weeping. Not just at the suffering of Jesus, but at the sacrifice of Jesus. Not, she's not weeping just for her friends. She's weeping because this one loved the world so much that he gave his life. We find her next at the tomb crying out to God and then running to tell the others he is not there. He is not there. She denied herself. She took up the cross and she followed after Jesus in everything that she had. 